This weekend, November 3rd and 4th, some 60,000 sneakerheads, hip-hop aficionados, jocks, gamers, design nerds, and foodies will descend on Long Beach, California for the fourth annual Complex Con. The consumer-facing cultural bonanza is the physical expression of media brand Complex, which CEO Rich Antonello has been driving for the past 17 years. Co-founded by designer Mark Echo, Complex has evolved from a bi-monthly print magazine into a hydra-headed digital multimedia, multi-channel, multi-everything beast. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age, which is a multi-headed media something, and you are listening to AdLib. Rich, who is outspoken on just about any topic you can throw at him, joins us today for a wide-ranging conversation. We discuss what Complex Con is and where it's going. We talk about media's pivot to revenue diversification and its failed pivot to video, how Complex's joint acquisition by Hearst and Verizon in 2016 has been playing out for the brand. We talk about why he's bullish on over-the-top streaming platforms and how his own background as an agency and print guy left him perfectly unprepared to be a modern media CEO. If you like what you're hearing here on AdLib and seeing at AdAge, and you're in New York in November, come check out our own bonanza, AdAge Next, on the 13th and 14th. We'll be diving deep into all things innovation, from cannabis to blockchain to old-fashioned trust in the media. It's a multi-track program featuring some of the biggest minds in the media and marketing ecosystem. Check it out at adage.com next, but only after you listen to this. Rich Antonella, welcome to Adlib. It's great. We've already been talking for like half an hour. We That's right. Turn on Did the you mics. get any of that? I'm like, otherwise, I'm screwed. I'll have to. I'll have to get that Uber wiped out in the waiver. We got to start all over. I know. Again. <laughs> Here we go. Um, Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> uh, no, so we. Um, I feel like we've been talking for an hour. We have, and uh, you're just getting you're just getting uh, privy to this reader, listener, whoever you are. Um, <laughs> we uh, so we're gonna start. we this podcast is coming out the day or two before complex con which sounds like as good a time as any or reason as any to talk about complex con we'll get into what complex is the evolution of complex who you are the evolution of you but let's talk Ooh, complex that's, con. that's deep the evolution of me <laughs> yes that, we're gonna read my wife would find that funny uh, I imagine she has a role to play. <laughs> yes. uh, what uh, what is ComplexCon? Who or what is ComplexCon? ComplexCon, I, for those of you who don't know, uh, and everybody should know if you at all touch youth culture in any way, but it is literally the cultural Super Bowl, yes. right? And and what we strive to do, this is uh, this week, um, November 3rd and 4th, will be our third annual ComplexCon. How big? It, well, last year... First year was 38,000 people. Last year was a little over 50. Um, we've already sold – we've sold out tickets as of this morning, both VIP and general admission. Um, we've So that means we're almost at capacity nearing 60,000 tickets sold. And it's in L.A.? In Long Beach. Long Beach. So we take over Long Beach for the entire weekend um, and think about – on an experiential basis, it's a it's not a B2B trade show the way most people approach. It's a B2C experience, mm -hmm. not driven by like a music festival, right? It's driven by products and experiences from all the most relevant brands uh, and all the different categories that touch and are relative to, uh, that drive youth culture. So sort of a, a art and design, sneakers, Comic Con for sneakerheads and for well, Comic Con for cool people. <laughs> there you go. There Comic Con you go. for non virgins. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Non-Star Wars fans. No, I'm just joking. That's a bad joke. No, bad joke. We all love Star Wars. Uh, all right. We do. Um, so so what, are, what are some of the brands? Who are we talking about? What are, I mean, Nike, Adidas, uh, John Elliott, Fear of God, Vans, um, the Puma, um, uh, Activision, Blizzard, ga several games. Hollywood is there. Yeah, talk um, about the Holly Hollywood play. You've got video. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know. Look, it, it started out, and when we first did this thing, um, the first year was amazing because it really brought together art and design and sneakers and hip hop and anything that was driving youth culture at that point. And it was right before, actually, the 2016 election. Oh. And what was funny is it happened the weekend before, and we were we were uh, top 10 Twitter trending topic the entire weekend. Says a lot about the political involvement, by the way, of, <laughs> of, uh, of, of everything. So we're just going to leave that alone. But um, but what's interesting is uh, we have also a track, uh, and it's and and, and I'm going to cringe when I say it, but it's 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 almost like um, a, a line. We have a complex conversations that go on during this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the most important conversations from a cultural perspective. So everything from Lorena Jobs uh, and Jesse Williams coming to talk about the the, the broken education system and how it's a, pen, a potential uh, track to prisons, mm -hmm. um, to Sneaker of the Year panel mm -hmm. with uh, everybody from. Car Clark Kent and uh, Joe LaPuma um, to, um, you know, uh, Cryptocurrency 101 mm. um, and uh, in the state of cannabis, right? So it's literally anything and everything um, that is going on from a cultural perspective from the from an inside out perspective of the the number one most influential people in each of these categories. So how involved in the, any of the programming are you? Are you very? You are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we all are. It's a massive team effort. Um, I mean, this is our the the. We did not go into this and say like, hey, let's do a little event. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. A lot of people are like, let me bring my brand to life and do a little event. I think the big thing that we did was. This was bigger than complex. It just so happens it's our brand that is at the epicenter of it. Mm -hmm. But we're doing this for the end consumer and for the culture and to really kind of bring conversations and bring products and bring and allow brands and designers to touch the end consumer on a direct basis mm -hmm. and bring that to life and bring all those things together. And it, it's a larger idea behind it. And I think that's why it's resonated so much from a community perspective. So let's unpack that a little bit or back up a little bit because ComplexCon is its own entity, it's its own beast. But when you're talking about other events where people go wrong, it almost sounds like you're complaining that they're, they're, they're thinking too small. But in some ways I feel no, like- No, I, I think they, number one, let me, let me be more specific and more evil. Um, is that I think a lot of people don't really resonate with their audiences. I think most right. people have dotted line connections to their audience, so when they try and activate their brand, they don't understand why nobody wants to come. Mm -hmm. Or if they do come, they're confused as to what they're actually coming for. There's also a, a glut, I would say, of events on the marketplace. You think? So, yeah. Really? <laughs> there's they, like, uh, there's a, uh, you know. Well, in this race, look, look not to, let's be consistent, right? Mm -hmm. You and I, two, two years ago, we're on stage talking about, uh, and I was whining about uh, how I'm tired of talking about the pivot to video. That was last year. That was last year. Yeah. Sorry, last yeah. year. Feels yeah. like eight years it ago. Does. But um, you know, now it's the pivot to uh, uh, revenue diversification. Right. So it's like, oh, well, what did somebody else do? Oh, well, Complex has a video business. They have a big branded content business. They have a big sponsored content. They have an event business. They have licensing. They have other, li like, they have uh, multiple uh, uh, upstream linear plays. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's just run at that. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, wait, so 
okay, are you diversifying because your investors have told you and the board has told you? Or is that really, do you have a strong enough connection with your audience to diversify those revenue streams into those pockets? Mm -hmm. And how are you gonna differentiate your brand within each of those? Right. You need to be able to have an idea of how you're bringing value to the end consumer. Does your consumer want that from you? And are you, does it, are, how can you strategically differentiate within that? Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people apply any strategy to a lot of these things, which is why you get a lot of also ran events. Also ran events, you see the same people at all the same events uh, doing the circuit. Right, and then they wonder why they fail or lose money doing it. Right, so, so your advice to anyone who would start an event is to get to know the audience. Well, I'd them. say, where, what, is your, what is your heaviest user core right, from like a quintile analysis basis? Like mm -hmm. how big is that that heavy user audience? What are they coming to you for? And how do you activate that in a real way? Mm -hmm. And then go, is anybody else doing that? And how, if, they, if they are, which is most likely they are, because mm -hmm. very little white space, how do you differentiate that offering that is specific to you and your consumer base? So now it's, it's four years in? Three, this will be the third year. Third, third year. All right. Now I don't feel yeah. so bad that I haven't been yet, but uh, I do feel a little bad. That's okay. Like oh, you, oh. like me, would be one of the older people there. That's so, right. and uh, then I feel weird walking around like, who's that guy? That creepy uncle. That's right. You have a reason. Uh, well, at least you didn't say grandpa. I like that. <laughs> uh, let's talk about complex the brand. So, what is the brand that 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 you are? You know your audience so well and connect so well to, and are doing everything fantastically with. I, mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, yeah. but I mean, look. It's, everything's a struggle, man. Right. There is, you know, people people don't realize the one thing that I've learned. Um, and and I'm look, I'm a former agency guy and then a former print guy, right? Yep. So, and I've said this a few times uh, across the the years. The one thing I've learned about this whole space and the media space in general now, which is disproportionately being driven by what goes on digitally, is you used to be able to figure something out, and you had you know, at least two or three years to exploit it, maybe even five or six months, even just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Now, that window. You, that window is welcome to constant iteration and you better be a self-disruptor mm -hmm. constantly. If you wait for the marketplace or other competitors to disrupt you, it is it is it is hard. What and does that look like on the on practical real world level for for you? Like, can you give a I recent, mean, recent example, early example. Uh, I mean, you like here. Here's the thing: is the same way I was criticizing people who were just running a diversification model. Mm -hmm. We didn't wait for looked at somebody else who diversified their revenue business. We've been doing that consistently for three to four years. Mm -hmm. That is now the you know. Three to four years ago is when the pivot to video started. We right. started that five or six years ago. And it wasn't a pivot. It was like an organic. Right. It, it was an organic process. evolution of the brand from a conversational perspective. Mm -hmm. And look, let me go back and answer your big question because I think, and, and, and it'll relate to all of this, is one of the reasons, you know, we started out as a counterculture kind of niche publisher magazine that was half buyer's guide, half uh, lifestyle and culture. More sub than counter culture, right? Well, well, so yes, it, sure. Yeah. I mean, however Splitting you want to cast right. niches, yeah. what, right? 
And this was back in 02, right? Mm -hmm. And it was founded on sneakers and art and design and hip hop as a culture, not just hip hop as music. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people like, oh, that's a nice little thing. And little did they realize that those were going to be the pillars that defined what is relevant to all of youth culture 10 or 15 years down the road. And this just came out of your own obsession with sneakers? No, 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 no. Well, no, no, no. The concept was defined and brought to the world by Seth Gersberg and Mark Echo, right, of Echo Unlimited. Um, And uh, I was not part of that year and a half to two years original development. Um, Thank the Lord, because... The they were, it was difficult, right? Like it was it was r- retail and apparel guys trying to launch a magazine and a and a consumer brand right. doesn't usually go well, right? Um, and it and it didn't at it, first. It CEO, um, right? And and I loved the concept. I saw the first issue. It had uh, 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 Nas and Uncle Junior on one side and Rosario Dawson in a schoolgirl outfit on the other side. Right. And I was like, I like where you're going. I think the execution is garbage. And um, we ended up screaming at each other for three and a half hours, and then they offered me a job. And you were at Nat Geo at the time? I was at Nat Geo Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And on the, uh, on the sales side. On the sales side. Yeah. And I had an op, but I, it, you could tell, obviously, I care about content. Like, yeah. I'm not a numbers and an audience seller right. in that respect. I've always been a brand seller. And I had an opportunity to come over there and, and really look at everything and kind of revamp the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. And we did. And, but, if what did you, you go in there saying this is the, this is the goal? This is well, what you I know want. what it, it was. I'm gonna, it, a lot of this is going to sound duh, but I mean, I, I believed in the size and the scale of what it could be because um, I drew these concentric circles, right? And again, all this is going to sound duh, but in 2002, not all people, a lot of people were doing that, hmm. and I believe that you know um, if you owned very rabid verticalized voices. And again, this is all pre-social networks, right? So the the amplification that has come, and th- I don't think that's what people don't realize about what 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 is really driving a lot of media, um, and successful media, is social media has actually allowed for verticalized audiences to scale, hmm. and that no brand ever did that successfully previously to to a mass degree, and now you have multiple platforms that allow very vertical niche audiences to to explode mm. because it's so easy to find other people of common interests. It's only a hashtag away. Right. Right. You, do you have a, do you have a preferred platform? Uh, I mean, look, you have a white hot platform right now on Instagram. Right. Um, I, I happen to love Twitter personally. Yeah. You love, I love Twitter. Quotes. I love Twitter personally, <laughs> but I also love it professionally yeah. in that it means a lot. A lot of the very rabid conversations of the topics that are re- relative to complex, yeah. uh, all happen on Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fantastic platform for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but let's, let's go back to the sure. verticalized audiences yes. for a second. And because that's really what allowed us to be iterative and and drive, Mm -hmm. that we were so relevant so early to so many people against these topics that people had not covered on a mass level before, Mm -hmm. especially sneakers. Um, And 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 what we've we've always been a prism of how do you take a vertical audience and make it relevant to horizontal. Previously, all the verticalized conversations were very insular. It was like, if you're going to be a rap magazine, it was like, we're going to talk to the hardcore, hardcore rap people exclusively. Mm-hmm. And we're not, you want to talk with all that authenticity and credibility in any of those topics and then bring it to the masses mm-hmm. and make it more relevant to more people. And that's one thing that we did well. And then when we moved into digital, which was 07, mm-hmm. 
we moved over in with, and we we basically didn't just try to launch complex.com and make it a portal. Mm-hmm. We actually went and aggregated a whole bunch of the best in class blogs, not the largest, mm-hmm. but the best music blogs and the best so sneaker how, blogs. How do you maintain a brand through all that if you're if you're going if you're starting narrow and deep and then appealing to the masses mm-hmm. and then you're at the same time aggregating other sources? How do you stay, how do you maintain a voice? Well, you unique? have to you have to remember. Um, I'm 47, right? And when I was young, uh, MTV was like the default youth culture brand, right? Mm. That's never going to happen again. There will never be one brand that is the default of everything. The, the world is too fragmented and segmented, especially now from an access perspective. It's everywhere, whether it's, you know, uh, now an up-and-coming artist or an up-and-coming brand like could pop off and become humongous in a two week period, mm-hmm. right? And that was not the case way back in the day. And my viewpoint was the digital landscape is open and it's on demand and you wanted to always bring the best in class voice across the board. So Complex was the horizontal platform that allowed for each of those vertical voices to come in. And what we did is added credibility and scale across the board to them to be able to monetize on a large scale basis and make it easy for advertisers to buy the entire hip hop music category, the entire sneaker category, the entire art and design category, the entire related shopping category. So you gave them scale to have one conversation and now you could buy millions and millions and millions of uniques and billions of page views. Right. It's a pretty simple concept. Um, it's just most most people who were doing verticalized ad networks at the time yeah. were doing dotted line reach bullshit scale plays, not real voices. And then social media exploded, and now that gave credibility to everybody that we were associated with. Right. Are you monetizing well on social? We do exceptionally well on social. I mean, that's yeah. a lot of our branded and sponsored content on an extended basis because the content organically, we don't have to push it on social. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about Hot Ones or Sneaker Shopping with Joe LaPuma or Full Size Run or The Burger Show or uh, Everyday Struggle. I mean, these these shows dominate social conversations. They start conversations on other platforms and they organically spread. And then whoever is sponsoring those shows go along right with that across the board from a content perspective. So it's instead of having a push social philosophy, we have a pull based on the content. And that's why we're more effective selling branded and sponsored than a lot of other people. Oh yeah, talk about that. How big? What's the sort of makeup of your your well, ad revenue? Oh, I mean, our, well, our revenue is very diversified at this right. point because, unlike a lot of other digital publishers, we're producing a lot of very um, lo- high end, longer form content that is actually going upstream. Mm-hmm. So we have a much larger licensing business than a lot of other people. Uh, we have a much larger syndication play than a lot of other people. Our library is very deep of very uh, evergreen content. So we distribute a lot of our shows, which we have 100 plus episodes of many of our shows because we've been doing it for so, excuse me, for so long. So we now distribute shows on MSG, on Fuse from a library perspective. And it's, it's really nice. We also have a very large events business that a lot of other people right. are just trying to burgeon. So beyond the, complex the advertising, advertising, just yep. just media in general, advertising in general, is only making up approximately fifty percent of my revenues, right. which is very low as a percentage versus other yep. people. And then of that fifty percent, uh, a good eighty-five percent of that is super premium, whether it's direct transactional. And a greater preponderance is branded and sponsored. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a very l- a large amount of programmatic or low end kind you, of you, bottom of the funnel. You've sort of historically been a programmatic naysayer. Uh, 
that exactly. could be the understatement <laughs> of the year. Uh, look, I, yeah. I'm an Ogilvy guy. Yeah. I believe in hearts and minds. The yeah. definition of advertising is changing people's hearts and minds. Yeah. The last time I looked, a bottom of the funnel attribution model that it, a, a programmatically delivered ad is not changing anybody's hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. You might disproportionately get credit for closing a sale, which probably, by the way, on a true attribution, uh, uh, attribution basis is not actually accurate. Mm -hmm. But I'm sorry, that's not the game we're going to play. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not, we're not an audience play. We are a brand. We start the conversations and inform, influence, and impact what goes on from a youth culture perspective. There is massive value associated with that, right. not just our audience there, that is bought at the bottom of the funnel. There's not no programmatic, though. No, we do a little bit, yeah. but that's like of what we don't sell in every other way. And mm -hmm. it's also not at the forefront. Um, and most of our programmatic deals mm -hmm. are not out in the open market. Most of our programmatic are direct, that are tied direct premium deals that are tied to <clears throat> larger 360 degree programs with our premium advertisers. You guys have been, so it's been about two years now we've been talking, we've been sort of jumping around chronologically. So Shocking. We'll keep jump. We'll keep That's jumping. That's all good. <laughs> but two years ago, you guys were, uh, we should have done this at a bar. Uh, we, we can next time. Yes. I offered you a beer. You said no. One beer. What is that going to do? <laughs> we can crack. A, right. Know. Sorry. Uh, next time. Next time. Um, we, uh, two years ago, acquired by um, uh, uh, Verizon, Verizon Hearst. and Hearst. Yep. So that's JV. two different uh, companies. Which one is, private, one public. Does that present challenge, unique challenges? Of it? How's uh, yeah, it going? For, uh, well, those are two different questions. They are. Um, they are. Uh, first of all, everything presents challenges, right? Every situation. Um, you know, for me, the big, the big thing that's different is going from a venture-backed board uh, dominated by Excel, Austin Ventures, you know, um, and a few other strategic investors to now an ownership structure mm -hmm. um, that is 50-50 with no lead as well, which, you know, is good and bad in a lot of ways. Um, but it's going pretty, pretty well. And here's here's why. To, to a lot of, I mean, we did the deal at the right time, number one. Was that always the goal from the outset? Uh, to sell? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, if you take on venture money, that better be the goal. Right. Otherwise, you're going to piss some very important people off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when we first started everything, um, w the goal was not to sell because the goal was to build a media empire really? within a clothing company and potentially make the media empire larger than the clothing company. Um, that all changed when the world hit the, the, the shit hit the fan when the world fell apart and their business was cratering and my business was accelerating and we went and raised capital mm -hmm. and took that out. Mm -hmm. So um, thank the Lord that happened that, that went very well. But, you know, the 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 relationship with Verizon and Hearst was very strategic. It wasn't just an exit from a financial perspective. It was for the investors. But what was really amazing was corresponding to that deal, Verizon really believed that we were this great um, youth culture whisperer and creator of content, right? Especially because we had a lot of momentum in video when you didn't have a lot of people mm -hmm. in the end of 15 into 16 who were doing high, like longer form content against youth culture. Right. And they, they were trying to build go 90. They which, were trying to build go 90. And I think out. they saw this as a potential opportunity to feed and differentiate. Mm -hmm. So there was the deal. And then there was a very large commitment from them. I can't get into the number. Okay. Uh, I you just knew you're going to, yeah. no, 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 it's all good. <laughs> I just can't. I'm no, sorry. No I apologize. No it doesn't worries. work that way. But, um, they, they, it was a very large commitment, uh -huh. um, which, to me was tremendous because 
irrespective of whether that 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 platform worked or not, and I did, I, I you know, they were making a large bet on it. Um, I knew we were going to be able to build five times as much long form content in a super premium way, work with people like Peter Berg mm -hmm. and Film 45 and develop shows like QB1 and Road to Race Day and these amazing uh, and, and on point. Um, and and by the way, that, there's so many more, but I'm just those pop off. But, yep. you know, that was going di to differentiate us from a digital first player to technically guaranteed of like a youth culture brand. And now you know, that, that Go90 is no longer, um, a lot of that content that was in the funnel and in the production is now just going to come back to us. So we're going to have complex networks will be in a position to have a library uh, of content that is probably in the neighborhood of 1,300 to 1,500 hours of evergreen, super high quality, long form, 22 minutes or 44 minutes um, worth of content that can now be distributed across multiple outlets on multiple platforms in a, in, with a very strategic windowing play mm -hmm. um, that how many other people have one-tenth of what we have mm -hmm. uh, that's already in the can ready to go um, with absolute premier partners across the board and a platform that can promote the living hell out of it and also monetize and sell against it. Right. We've kind of set ourselves up to where a lot of people are looking to be in 2021 and 2022 Especially in 2018 and 19. Media consolidates all over the place. You know, you right. think? <laughs> so, but, uh, but look, we're a plug and play from that standpoint in yeah. that, in, and look, we've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me say this, a lot of, somebody said something in a, in a very strategic meeting we were at the other day is they go, oh my God, I just realized what you just laid out of a strategy and where you are of diversification of your revenue and the ability you're going to have to play in the OTT market mm -hmm. is what everybody says they're trying to get to. You've already done it so you're foundationally. Showing, are you showing everyone your playbook? Or uh, no, uh, well, by the <laughs> way, go try and do it. Yeah. I, when have I been shy about saying what we're going to do? Right. We go out, look, a lot of people, you still have to be the originator of, of a strategy, number right. one. And then you have to be have an ability to iterate the the execution at a very high level. And we're very good at both. And you're, and you're bullish on OTT. I am. Yeah. Not not tomorrow. Yeah. Not tomorrow. But but in two to three years, that's going to be a laughable question, Right. I think. I think it kind of is already. I think it is already. Too. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. But a lot of people have been so unsuccessful with it that they... Why? Why? <sighs> but I, first of all, that, that's a podcast in and of itself, mm -hmm. to be really frank. Let me let me say it this way. I think a lot of the, even the platforms went at it the wrong way. I think a lot of the platforms went at it the same way a normal carrier would. And they went to the, if your offering is not differentiated and you went to the same people and now you're going to try and win on ease or convenience or, and not even pricing, to be really frank, I would have gone after the verticalized audiences and the brands of tomorrow, and I would have disproportionately focused on that if I was one of the platforms. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, they went after, well, you know, like how nobody's going to get fired for putting ESPN on an ad plan. Mm -hmm. No one's going to get fired for paying them a lot of money to carry that, that either on an OTT platform, right. even though maybe that's not the right way of looking at it. So who is that's a big that's a big statement, but you get where I'm going. Where are you going? Unpack it a little bit. I mean, again, we could spend mm -hmm. hours on this. 
I, I, you know, um, I was reading an article the other day. Um, uh, it was Bob uh, Backish from mm-hmm. from Viacom. We did a great Q and A with him. He, he's yeah. he's and, and by the way, I, I can't say I think he's doing a tremendous job um, re- trying to revive Viacom. And but he said something very interesting. He's like, we're not romantic about the uh, the next iteration of what Viacom is. It might be with a whole different slew of brands or some semblance of that. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most sober remarks. It was a small little throwaway that I think a lot of people didn't, you know, didn't really pay a lot, a lot of attention to. I did. Well, of course, yeah, because you have especially been malleable over the years, whether it's medium, revenue streams, products. What's the next iteration? If it's well, I mean, I think look, it's like I've I've said. I have no interest in having my own singular cable channel, mm-hmm. right? And I've been consistent about saying that for a long time. Is that a dig advice? Uh, no. Uh, I mean, they could take it as one. It's fine. I mean, but it's not. It's just, look, that's not, I don't, I think being beholden to pointing people to a gigantic platform and having most of your premium content live there exclusively is a, is the wrong way to approach this, this youth culture audience personally. Mm-hmm. I think having a very, having a massive library that you've built as a channel, but then being able to distribute that channel strategically in multiple places with multiple windowing strategies, Mm -hmm. not having the contracts of a carrier limit your windowing strategy Mm -hmm. is a better way of going. That's my viewpoint. And I think that that allows allows to be much more opportunistic for a lot of brands, uh, media brands. Mm -hmm. And if you have great content and can drive people to multiple platforms, you can make a lot more money from several platforms than you can with just one. So you've been you outspoken about the, the the media climate. You've been outspoken about the, the the mistakes people made. Who, other than complex, of course, who's who's interesting to you? Who's doing something that excites you? You know, um, you know what's funny. Uh, I, I think, and I don't want know what their name is anymore, um, but it's a brand. It's a group that doesn't get a lot of credit for really being not just big risk takers, but have really uh, embraced a very similar strategy of owning fandoms. Mm-hmm. But what Otter, previously Otter Media used to be, mm-hmm. um, that group with Rooster Teeth and Crunchyroll, and now like Verve, right? Their, their, their play. Um, I, I, I think Rooster Teeth and Crunchyroll are tremendous examples of very strong, diversified, um, that have long-term ability, by the way, to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the way people are going to consume that content as well. I yeah. think they are really set up well. I think those guys have done a tremendous job out there in the marketplace. It is, it is Otter Media. Yeah. Well, is yeah. it still? But even though they've sold, it, it, are they going to stay the same? Or? It was solely acquired by AT&T yeah. in August. Yeah. Um, and has subsequently operated as the subsidiary of Warner Media. This is from the very trustworthy folks at Wikipedia. There you go. Um, <laughs> but I, but look, I but my point is is that slew of brands they have in there and the way they approach those businesses. Right. I mean, Crunchyroll is a talk about a vertical fan community mm-hmm. that anime play and the 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 subscription business that they have. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. the international ability for that to be dominating! Wow, um, the the uh, um, the e-commerce business that they have against both Rooster Teeth and Crunchyroll. Wow, mm-hmm. these are really interesting businesses, mm-hmm. and they have a very specific target audience. Right now, would what you I buy, would you buy them? 
Uh, I don't think AT&T <laughs> is going to be selling anything anytime <laughs> soon, considering they are in consolidation mode. Yeah. Um, that I will tell you, that, would, that was an asset that we had on our target board across the board. Right. 100%. Interesting. Um, yeah, but that that's 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 got to come off. <laughs> Not because of, of lack of interest, yeah. obviously. What's the do you have an international play? We we are going to approach it a little differently. Um, instead of trying to go localizing websites um, in these communities, I think that that's chasing very 2011. Mm -hmm. I think what we're going to do is enter each of these markets very strategically. We cut a licensing deal recently with like iFlix mm -hmm. to go um, license. Uh, several of our programs uh, and bring them to life on a localized regional basis, like Hot Ones and sneaker shopping and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And um, what we're going to do is go into each of these markets um, with premium programming and then build our brands out from there. So maybe certain franchises might be larger. Maybe First We Feast will be a bigger brand in certain places than Complex or vice versa. Mm -hmm. But um, we're not going to go and try and localize and chase yesterday just because that was our model here and go and apply it other places. Right. you got to remember also the ad market is nowhere near as mature on a, on a per capita basis as, as it is in the United in the States. So you have to think about – I'd rather uh, have the the – the assets and the products be aligned with where the disproportionately amount of premium revenue is against each of those in, the, in each of those markets. How, how Not did, to be too specific? How, how did you personally? How did you get here? How, and I, I, don't mean, <laughs> I don't mean what train. Um, yeah, no, but like, no, I should have walked, as we said. Should've, you should have walked. Uh, the uh, uh, you know you coming from the sales side, Nacho, like you were not set up for success for this necessarily. How do you, well, that's probably why we've had it, right? <laughs> uh, usually the better the resume, the worse the results, yeah. right? Uh, that's my quote, by the way. The, uh, well, that's been my experience, right? Yeah. Like I, you know, my father was a, um, a very aggressive dad um, in that he believed, um, and I'll make all the bad, mon like, you know, I learned how to swim by him throwing me in the deep end. Right. And that is, that is a metaphor for everything in the rest of my entire life. Mm. And I would just, Look, I grew up being very passionate about a lot of these topics, mm -hmm. and Brooklyn, right? In Brooklyn, yeah. And um, you know, a lot of this stuff really mattered to me. And then I got a lot of corporate experience at uh, Saatchi and Saatchi, mm -hmm. at um, CBS Radio, and then Men's Winter Media, mm -hmm. and then Nat Geo. And I got to apply a lot of what I learned into this, into the brands and the topics that I really care about personally. Mm -hmm. And I had an opportunity to kind of figure out how, if I had an opportunity to go run something, mm -hmm. wow, go take a shot at it. And I was 30 years old when I took the job. Yep. Uh, 17 years later, I'm still here. Uh, multiple iterations of this company, multiple different ownership structures, uh, multiple rate capital raises, mm -hmm. a big exit. Um, and I will tell you something, I've never been more excited about where we are, mm -hmm. and I've never still known less than I know today. And that's, I think that's the big thing is, yeah. even through all of this, and I've, you know, I've laid out, I like try to answer your question, not with corporate speak, but giving you the explanation of not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it, yeah. and how we're gonna specifically be successful. All that said, I still, all of this is speculative, mm -hmm. and you gotta be very, um, uh, open to kind of uh, changing things on the fly. And to me, 
instead of being um, scared by that ambiguity, mm. um, I look at that as a, as a way to get very excited about this. What's the biggest bet you've lost so far? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I can't name a few of them. I, I will, no, no, no. I'll, I'm going to be very specific. Um, but, you know, there were probably three companies that I tried to buy um, that we made runs at that I wasn't able, like brands that I was, we, that we lost out on that would have been transformative for our business. Mm -hmm. And I'm pissed about those, but mm -hmm. we didn't have the capital at different times. We had, and we have a, we had a creative deal versus a lucrative deal. Um, but the biggest mistake I probably made on a strategic basis is thinking when we first went into video in 2012, um, and I've been public about this before, and I've apologized to my staff for it too. I had such a big ego about how big our platform was that we didn't need YouTube. Mm -hmm. And uh, we chose not to go on YouTube mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, we quickly realized by the middle of 13 that, you know what? Yeah. We're gonna use YouTube as a massive both content and discovery platform. What? And uh, you can't, if you're gonna be a youth culture brand in this day and age, mm -hmm. Uh, you just it, welcome to that's, a very key partner. Period. End of story. Yeah, that's that's where they watch. And that's, well, and, you have and, kids and too. No, right? but the rule, the rule, the, like yes, I, I'll get to that too. But yeah. the rule there is that was the one time I usually don't ever let ego seep into my decision making process. Yeah, that was the one time I did because I thought the tax was too high. But you were able to eat crow, right? I mean, we were still early, yeah. but that's why we were still early. And then we didn't hold on to it for years. Right. We held on to it for about seven or eight months right. and quickly real. And then you got to be sober. It wasn't that we were doing video poorly. It was that we didn't, we weren't smart about our the distribution. Strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you said kids, you'll get back to them. Do they, do they, do they think what complex is cool or are they, they think complex is super cool. Right. Um, you cool? have to remember we had Ariana, Ariana Grande on a cover and literally my kids flipped out because they then went to school and were reading a book about like Ariana Grande's like kid autobiography. Mm -hmm. And they're only separated by one year, my two girls. And um, they were reading the book and it was like, and I got my first cover in complex and they got to read that aloud and be like, that's my daddy's company. <laughs> and cool. you know, they, yeah, of course they were like the coolest kids in school for like three hours. Right. So right. That's sometimes that's all you need. Uh, <laughs> the, the bar is low. The bar is low. <laughs> uh, what, I mean, this has been a pretty good conversation, wide ranging. What, what else is on your mind? What's, you know, short, mid, long-term plans? I mean, you know, look, we, we kind of touched upon it directionally. I think, and you've actually mentioned it a few times, even, you know, just as throwaways, but with the consolidation that is going on in the marketplace right now mm -hmm. and, um, combined with the real compression of ad dollars and the and and compoundingly the margin against that mm -hmm. is y y we are we are already everything is in the works we just don't know a lot of it's been under covers mm -hmm. but we're about to see the largest shift in media and advertising we have ever experienced in the entire world and most people are not not only not preparing for it, but they're gonna they're gonna be in a situation where they're gonna have to react and and react knee jerk, mm -hmm. rather than go, what is my offering and how how do I prepare myself to be as successful independently as possible? But then I'm so differentiated that I easily plug into a larger place and can either transform their culture and their approach, 
or bring them something very unique and differentiated and, and be very important. And I don't think a lot of people are thinking on those levels right now. And, um, uh, that's my, that's sort of a prediction. Not that you asked me for one, no, but, but I think that that's what's going on in my head right now. It's going on in mine too, on a much smaller scale. Like for ad age, how do we apply the same questions? You know, you know, as the as our audience and our readership, and if anyone's listening and has thoughts on this, would love to hear it. Where do we go to be prepared for where the market's going? I mean, the one thing that I will say is, you know, you guys have multiple products, right, which is right. really good that are related. I don't think you cross pollinate those to the degree. Like that's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little bit like that would be like us not 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 using sneakers, art and design hip-hop and other, like, we cross-pollinate, not just the audience, but, like, even the products, the way we bring things to life from an events perspective. I think you guys look at your brands way too verticalized, personally. That's fair. That would be my one one critique, which would then inform an entirely different strategy across the board. All right, well, we'll we'll take that and and tell you. (laughs) Sorry. Tell you you next year. No, 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 it's good. Well, I'm open. I'm open. (laughs) I can't. I'm, I'm learning on the fly like you are. Uh, we all are. Who's your? Do you have a uh, like a mentor, a group of mentors? I wish I did. Yeah. I don't. Um, you know, I I I've never been somebody who did a good job of learning from other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. Um, I like learning on my own, and um, I'd love to have it. I just I guess I've been in enough in certain situations where I didn't have a, a board to the degree. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm developing peer to peer friendships, Mm -hmm. um, over the last say five or six years that have been really differentiated for me. Like there's a lot of people I admire out there. Mm -hmm. Um, very non-traditional people in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, no, they, 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 exactly. And, but you know, I, I also happen to think like, and I'm not trying to shoot holes in everybody's self-help and Mm -hmm. business strategy of like having a mentor and so on and so forth. You know, I'm not as big of a believer in it as everybody else is. And I'm not as big of a believer. Like, you know, um, I just tweeted something out the other day about convenience is the devil in another form. Like the That's easier awesome. something is for you, if, the worse if, if it gets. If anyone out there does not follow Rich on Twitter, it's a, it's a worthwhile. <laughs> it's, it's worthwhile. I try. Uh, rise and grind kind of feed. It's well, it's, a, it's a lot of things, <laughs> yeah, right? It's a, yeah. com- it's a commentary is really what it is, right? Yeah. And... You know, I really fundamentally believe a lot of people put too much stock in thinking, well, if I have this, if I put the right little mix together, then I'll be able to take this from them and this from them. I got news for you. You can get that from reading biographies and so on and so forth. Like when you're, when you're ultimately, if you're the CEO, you're standing on your own. Mm-hmm. It's all up to you. I'm not looking for anybody else to tell me what my strategy should be. We right. should come up with our own. And you learn by doing. That's right. And then there you go. Cool. Well, thanks, Rich. You're welcome. Fun. Good luck at com- complex con. Com- <laughs> Good luck at complex com- com- complex con. Yes, that's harder to say. We'll it is. That. It we'll, is. It's we'll... a tough one. It's a tough one. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I want to thank Rich for joining me today. Rich is, of course, the CEO of Complex Media. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age. You've been listening to AdLib, produced this week by Max Sternlicht. Check us out at adage.com and be sure to check out adage.com slash next for the latest in our next conference, which is on the 13th and 14th of November in New York. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe, tell a friend, check us out at Spotify, Stitch, or Google Play, anywhere there are good podcasts. 
tell a friend, and come back next week.